Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. So the last few weeks we had a look into the topic of discipleship here in this church. We looked into what it means to be a disciple of God and that we are in fact his disciples in this world. Last week we had a chance to sign up and to be a part of the vision and the mission that we have here at Hills Baptist and to sign up to serve in one of our teams. And this is what we are all about as a church. We are about to make disciples. Yeah. This, is, this is what we're here for. Yeah. That's what Jesus is asking of us. Yeah. And we want to see Jesus glorified and lives transformed and hope revealed. And I want to just quickly invite you, if you weren't here last week, but you want to be a part of this, a part of this mission to make disciples here in this small part in the Adelaide Hills, um, just scan the QR code in front of you and fill it in and we will be in touch with you soon. We would love you to join us to see this mission completed. Dave talked last week about the cycle of the disciple, about belonging, believing, becoming and building. And I want to continue the journey of teaching a tiny bit more today. Um, So I will take you on a tiny bit of a teaching journey and I hope that you, will, that you will grasp it, what I have to say, how this all continues and what it actually means for us. And my deep, deep prayer is that you would be sitting here in your chair today or online at home on your sofa and you would be thinking about your personal life. I feel like so often we can hide behind our spouse, we can hide behind our friends, we can hide behind whatever in a big group within the church But in actual fact, faith is about you and it's about you personally. So this has been my prayer for every single person sitting here and online that is listening to this message, that you would be open and willing to actually pause and to reflect on your life. Because at the end of the day, it's you and it's God. Amen? Amen. I titled my sermon with the title of Just Do It. Just Do It. When I grew up in Germany, and I had to go to school, obviously, as most of us had to, and in Germany, they are pretty big on teaching languages. They're pushing it in Europe, probably a bit more than down here in Australia. And I had to, and I had to learn the language of English. And let me just say, I strongly, strongly disliked it. <laughs> didn't sit with me, didn't click with me. Nothing makes sense. I had about three or four years within all my schooling career actually after school teaching and support to make it through high school with English. I really struggled with this language. Nothing made click in my head. I couldn't connect the words together to make a sentence to bring it out of my mouth. I really struggled with that. When I was 19, I moved to South Africa and the language of English was spoken. And only, must have been only four or five weeks in, when the leader of our team came and said, well, we are about to do an outreach in a local school. It's about 500 kids plus the teachers. And Leona, you're sharing the word of God. (laughs) (laughs) And the whole team laughed. They all laughed because I was by far the worst in English. And so did I for a second. And that night I actually cried. I was lying in my bed and I was really crying because I couldn't, I knew that a table is a table and I also knew that a door is a door. I could say, my name is Leona, and I can say, how are you? 
but legit that was it. I did not know how to put my words together in a sentence. So I was like, oh wow, I just have to do it, don't I? I just have to do it. So the day came and I stood in front of that school and I got up and I said, God loves you. God loves you. Jesus loves you. And if you've been to Africa before, you know that it takes about a minute before the first lovely African woman gets up and be like, hallelujah, amen, hallelujah. So after three, four minutes of hallelujah, amen, and God loves you, my time was up and I went. <laughs> I, <laughs> I still laughed at it. I could see when I think of the story, like I just popped in my mind this week and I, st- I just had to laugh. But I did it, I just had to do it, didn't I? But what this did to me this moment was that it actually taught me a confidence that I could do it. And that if I would just do it, that my brain would learn how to make the connections and that my mouth would learn how to let those words, these weird English words that you sometimes even don't pronounce half the letters, (laughs) come out of my mouth. And I was like, all right, Leona, you just have to do it. Well, I'm pleased to tell you, I hope you can understand me today, because I'm clearly, those of you who know me, I still sound a bit funny, the Lord hasn't taken this away from me, but he enabled me to learn the language, and I'm forever grateful for him. That was my fun story in the beginning. But what my prayer is for us today here is that every single person here would know and understand the importance of being a disciple and that you would know the responsibility that comes with it and the blessing and that you would sit here today at the end of the service and you would actually make a commitment again to Christ and say, you know what, Lord, I just do it. I just do it. To start my little teaching journey, I want to start with a very basic but fundamental truth. Basic doesn't necessarily mean that it's simple, but it can be actually very profound. I want to tell you the truth today, that you are you. You are you. And you are fearfully and wonderfully created in the image of God. And by now you should see a lovely smiley face up here, because this is who you are. So click smiley face, that's you. You are fearfully and wonderfully created in the image of God. God loves you. He sees you. He knows you. When the Lord created this world in Genesis and he created the plants and the the animals and the, the stars and the ocean and all of it, he said, and it was good. And then he created humans. And what did he say? It is very good. God looks at you and he says, it is very good. So what can we learn from this? Well, the first point we can learn from this is the importance of accepting the truth in your life. You all need to accept, I need to accept, we all need to accept that we are fearfully and wonderfully created in the image of an almighty God. This is who you are. And once you accept this truth, it actually enables you. It enables you to, to almost explore yourself. You can, you can find out what you're good at. You can learn your weaknesses. You can learn about your strength. You can be humble about it. And you can stay teachable. Because there's nothing wrong with you. We're all different and we know this. If you truly accept yourself, you can know 
that there is no need to compare yourself to another person. In fact, you can actually look to someone else and you can celebrate with them for who they are without putting them down in order for you to stand better. We need to know, we need to accept the truth that we are fearfully and wonderfully created. The second big point that comes out of it is that the truth is, it's not just you who is fearfully and wonderfully created, or you, or you, or you. In fact, we all are. If you look around this room, God would say to each and every single person here right now, you're fearfully and wonderfully created in my image. But it doesn't take you long to actually recognize that we are all a bit different, aren't we? We all come in a bit of a different shapes and forms. Some are happy, some are sad, some like cheese. <laughs> but we are all created in this image. And no one is better than the other person sitting next to you. No one is better or worse, you are just different. And together as a church, together we are his disciples. He called us to be his disciples together. Not just here in Verdun. Yes, it counts for Hills Baptist and it's a blessing to do life in the community. But in Adelaide, in SA, in Australia, in the world, in North America, in Mexico, wherever. People all over the world, they look different, they are shaped different, they have different personalities, but together we are his disciples. Paul explains this teaching in, it's quite a famous, obviously, Bible passage, but in the part of the Bible where it talks about the body, we are all one body. It says in Corinthians, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. If you look at the different shapes here, again, it is important to reflect about what makes you, you. I said before that it is important to accept you as you are. And therefore, I think it is quite important to actually sit back and to be like, wow, what makes me me even? What, what shapes me in life? What are the areas in life that, that impact me to, to the person that I am today? Tracy Price, she's a lecturer at Tabor. She put this up in one of our lectures and I greatly appreciated it. She puts it all in a box. So this is a box she put it in and she said, all right, we have different areas in our life that actually shape us. There's the religious background. So let's say for us as a church right now, some of us come from different church backgrounds. You may be Lutheran Ben or you may be Baptist or you may be from Trinity or Penty or whoever you are. But we all have a story, don't we? And we bring this background, let's say for our community right now within our church here. What is right and wrong, or good and bad, meaningful, our purpose in life and our future and how we live, how we relate, our cultural background. All of this has an impact in who you are. And all of this has an impact in how you make decisions in life and what shapes you. And even if it comes to faith, 
I mean, Dave often uses the language of you have open and close-ended issues. There's some stuff in the Bible where Jesus is, you know, has died for us on the cross that is truth, that is a fact, and there's nothing to talk about. And then there's other issues in the Bible that can be debatable a bit, where it's a bit like, oh man, we can have a discussion around this. And I'm not going into any of them today. That's not my point. But my point is that that box here probably influences a lot on your outlook on these topics. Would we agree on that? So let's say, for example, if you have grown up in a home where your father loved you and treasured you and was there for you and stirred you on and believed in you, you probably have a bit of a different thought in your mind when I tell you God the Father loves you compared to a person that grew up in a very abusive home. Our background and our story in life impact who we are today and it also shapes us in how we make decisions in the future and how we have a certain outlook on life. So I just want to clarify quickly again, I do not say that the truth changes. The truth is the truth. God is God, full stop. But our perception or our interpretation sometimes of the truth, right? That's why we sometimes have arguments, right? That can change. And those things are influenced often by those things here that are in the background. A box like this also shows us that we are actually pretty limited. Because you can see your box. Your view is this box. But your box is different to my box right now. And clearly, when you then reflect on it a tiny bit more, you can you all of a sudden realize, man, if we believe in a Lord that understands every single box, he must just be completely beyond my understanding. Job says it in a way that he says, can you discover the depth of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? Paul says in Romans, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how instructable his ways. We believe in a God that is completely beyond us. And amen to this. How good is this to know that he just knows a lot more than you do right now. But I want you again to understand today the truth that you are fearfully and wonderfully created in his image. And that he said it was very good. And the importance that you need to accept that truth. And I also want you now to remember that your Lord is beyond you. You will never understand everything in life. You can try and we educate ourselves and so we should. But it's fair to say that we would never understand it all. We won't. So now imagine that every single person here in this room with all the different shapes and form and liking trees or not are carrying their all personal individual boxes. Because this is what we are. This is what shapes us. If you look at this a bit, I think it becomes clear that it's very important to know and to understand the importance of accepting the other person that is sitting next to you. You probably won't always agree with them, but you can look at them here in a church, at least, and you can say, well, he's still a child of God. It, the person is still fearfully and wonderfully created, and the person still deserves love, respect, and forgiveness. It just shows that we are all so different. But here's the big thing. Here's the big, big but that I want to point out. In our diversity, 
in our diversity, we are united in Christ. Christ is the clue that holds us all together. This is who he is. Jesus called Simon the seller, the political activist, to be his disciple. Jesus called Matthew, a corrupt tax collector, who took some money home to be his disciple. Jesus called fishermen like Peter and Andrew to be his disciples. All of them came with their different shapes and forms and they all had their different boxes of education and background and all of it. And yet they were all Jesus' disciples traveling the journey together. And who was their clue? Jesus. It is often easy in life to just hang out with the people who agree with you. And especially in moments when there is issues arising, where there is many, many diverse opinions going around. And I'm not saying it's all wrong, but I do want to challenge it a tiny bit today. Because you're missing out. You're actually missing out. I believe if you have the courage to hang out with people who sometimes may even strongly disagree with you, they actually teach you to stay accountable. They teach you to think critically. And they teach you a lot about yourself and about themselves. And you gain a bit, a bit more understanding. And if the clue is holding us together as a church, if Jesus is holding us together, we should not be afraid of that. And if you know who you are in him, and that you are fearfully and wonderfully created and so is the other person, there shouldn't be any judgments. You should just be able to have a normal conversation and disagree, but be united in him. I want to read a prayer that Jesus prayed to his disciples or to the Lord for his disciples. It was the last prayer that he prayed in the garden when he... Um, yeah, before he was crucified. And I would say that if the Lord himself was on earth in a human form and he used the last prayer to pray certain words, it must be important. And I encourage you to every now and then just read it because it's the word of Christ. John 17. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not just for them alone. I also pray for those, that's now for you, who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What a prayer. What a powerful, powerful prayer that Jesus prayed for you.
Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. The word word here is the word logos. And it is the same word used in John 1.1, where it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The scripture, the Bible, is the truth today. If you are in the word, the word can sanctify you. Let it sink in. By being close to the law, by reading the truth, it will shape you to become the best version of yourself. You will still be you. You will still be the little triangle that you are. But you will be sanctified in and through him. So we therefore have a call to be willing to be refined and to, be remod to remodel a bit our box. And this can often be a bit scary. To leave something behind that you're comfortable with can be very frightening. To enter an area of uncertainty can make you feel extremely vulnerable. But it is so, so worth it. Do you want fear, arrogance, or ignorance hold you back? I say that again. Do you want fear, arrogance, and ignorance, which I actually believe are the biggest things, hold you back? to step into a season of vulnerability and may you hand over all the control and actually ask God to take over your life and to shape you and to sanctify you. If you are willing to commit your life to Christ, and I mean your life to him, not just a quick decision and then you run on, not just a quick prayer and then you move on, but if you're willing to commit your life to him, guess what? Your box will change. It will change. I often wondered why picking up the Bible is such a spiritual battle. I have been thinking about it for so long right now, why it is. Here in Australia, we have many, many Bibles available. In Dave's office this week, we counted seven Bibles on the shelf, I think Nick said, and there was probably one even lying on his desk. Australia has many Bibles. Just go to Korong. If you don't have a personal Bible, I would like to invite you to come to me later. We have some here. We would like to gift you one. But if it, what I shared before, if Jesus' prayer, the prayer from the Lord, if this prayer is true, then you spending time in the word, spending time with the truth, will sanctify you. It all makes sense. I want to now... Read a few sentences out of a book. And it's the book, The Heavenly Man. I don't know if some of you may have read it or not. It's about Brother Yun, and Brother Yun um, is a Chinese man, and he was greatly persecuted under the Chinese government for his faith. And what I want to read out to you is the moment how and when Brother Yun received his first Bible. That just taught me so much. At first, I didn't really know who Jesus was, but I'd seen him heal my father and liberate our family. I confidently committed myself to the God who had healed my father and saved us. During that time, I frequently asked my mother who Jesus truly was, and she told me, Jesus is the son of God who died on the cross for us, taking all our sins and sicknesses. He recorded all his teachings in the Bible. 
I asked if there were any words of Jesus left that I could read for myself and she replied, no. All his words are gone. There is nothing left of his teaching. This was during the Cultural Revolution when Bibles could not be found in China. From that day on, I earnestly wanted to have a copy of my own Bible. I was so hungry for a Bible, seeing my desperation, my mother remembered an old man who lived in another village. This man had been a pastor before the Cultural Revolution. Together we started on a long walk to his home. When we found him, we told him our desire. We long to see a Bible. Do you have one? He immediately looked fearful. This man had already spent nearly 20 years in prison for his faith. He looked at me and saw that I was so young and poor, with tattered clothes and bare feet. He felt compassion, but still didn't want to show me his Bible. The old pastor simply told me the Bible is a heavenly book. If you want one, you will need to pray to the God of heaven. Only he can provide a heavenly book. God is faithful. He always answers those who seek him with all of their heart. He then went and prayed and fasted and seeked the Lord daily. And then he says, looking back later, years later, I would say that this whole experience was the most difficult thing I've ever endured. Then suddenly, one morning at 4 a.m., after months of begging God to answer my prayers, I received a vision from the Lord while kneeling beside my bed. In that vision, there were three men. It's a bit longer. But then it says, in the vision, the old man took a red bag of bread from his trolley and asked his two servants to give it to me. He said, you must eat it immediately. I opened, I opened the wrapping and saw there was a bun of fresh bread inside. When I put the bun in my mouth, it instantly turned into a Bible. Immediately in my vision, I knelt down with my Bible and cried out the Lord in thanksgiving. He then woke up and he cried so loud that his parents came running into his room and they thought he now finally lost his mind. They were, they just, they were really worried about him. But then suddenly, as his parents were with him, suddenly I heard a faint knock at the door. A very gentle voice called my name. I rushed over and asked through the locked door, are you bringing the bread to me? The gentle voice replied, yes, we have bread, a bread feast to give to you. I immediately recognized the voice as it was the same one I heard in the vision. I quickly opened the door and there standing before me were the same two servants I had seen in the vision. One man held a red bag in his hand. My heart raised as I opened the bag and held in my hands my very own Bible. Every day from morning to late evening, I read the word of God. When I had to work in the fields, I wrapped my Bible inside my clothing and took every opportunity to sit down and read. At night time, I took my Bible with me to bed and laid it on my chest. In the beginning, reading my Bible wasn't easy because I had only received three years of education. Furthermore, my Bible was in the traditional Chinese script, while I had learned to read simplified characters. I found a dictionary and painstakingly looked up one character at a time as I advanced through the Bible. Finally, I finished reading through the whole Bible. So I started to memorize one chapter per day. After 28 days, I had memorized the whole Gospel of Matthew. I quickly read through the three other Gospels before proceeding to the book of Acts and starting to memorize it. I'm not sharing this here to make us all feel guilty. I have not memorized the book of the Bible yet either. Right. 
But what I want to point out is how special, how special it is to have this book. And that we are so spoiled, including myself, that I sometimes think we forget the importance of this book, that this book is the truth of God who can sanctify your life. It can change you, you fearfully and wonderfully create a triangle into a person that is more Christ-like. And change is not easy. Personal change isn't easy. And being changed by God is can, I sometimes feel like it can quite be frightening because you give up of so much control in your life. So what have I said up to now? I have said that you are a person created in his image, fearfully and wonderfully. That you have your own personal box. That we are all created differently with all our interests and characters and, and convictions and all of it. And that we are all carrying our own little boxes. But that we are all are his disciples, and all together we are clued on to him, who is our clue. So if we live a life like this, what happens? The fruits of the spirits will be evident in our life. That's what we shall. The world will see that we are his disciples. What do I mean by fruit? It says in the Bible, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. My son picked the orange, by the way. <laughs> but when you commit your life to Christ, your box will change and you will start making disciples. Not out of your own strength. But he is naturally in you. His spirit who is sanctifying you. His power will do it. When I lived in New Zealand, I was invited to a, to a lady's home and she was about to leave New Zealand to go as a missionary to the country of Yemen. And Yemen still is a very, very dangerous country for any single lady to enter. And she wanted to share a testimony with us and I went into her house and I can say, honestly, up to today, I have never met a person like her again on this earth. I entered her room and I started crying and I felt so much Jesus in this room that it was so overwhelming that I didn't quite know even how to be. And I asked her, I said, can I ask you, what do you do? How do you live your relationship with Christ? And she said, well, I have known now since six months that I'm about to go to Yemen where I'm living under a burqa. Right? Everything is covered up. What can I do in that country as a single woman under a black curtain? I knew that only God can, because I'm nothing. And so she said, four, four months ago, I think it was, she said, I, de I decided that I commit seven hours per day to spend in the Word, to pray with God, to meditate, and to be with Him. And I can tell you that it changed her life. So I know that not all of us are seven hours a day. <laughs> but I also know that we all have 24 hours in a day. And I'm talking to myself right now too. We all have the same amount of time. And I just really want to say right now that it makes me, uh, like a righteous anger comes up and I just feel like how often the enemy is winning the battle of not us picking up the book. Because I believe it is a spiritual warfare. Makes me, mm. 
So we just have to do it, don't we? We just have to pick it up. We just need to be in it. I feel like if we are living a life 100% committed to him, that the Lord will give us a passion in us to love him more, a passion for him so we can't get enough of him, but also a passion to preach and to teach his word. Why? Because what Jesus has done on that cross there is way too radical. It's way too radical, it's way too serious, and it's way too wonderful not to be shared. When you commit your life to Christ, he will help you to love and to respect and to accept yourself and others. This was Jesus' last prayer on earth. Don't you think he would help you to do it? I think he will. It may sometimes take a tiny bit more time. For some reason, the Lord's timing seems a bit different to ours. But if you are in him and he let him sanctify you, change you and you give up control, he will be at work in your heart. This is a promise. He will also grow the desire in you to reach and to help others and to care for them. Why? Because he cares. He cares. Sometimes the spirit just pops a name into your mind, maybe. Don't just let it go. Send the person a text, a card, cook a meal, whatever you do, reach out to that person. You never know. You never know what the Lord is currently doing. By choosing to be a disciple, you will also experience, and it can even be through very close family members or friends, you will also feel that you will be rejected. That is a promise. I think we need to let go of the idea that discipleship is meant to be easy. I don't think it is. I actually, in actual fact, I think discipleship can be very hard. But we are called to be disciples. And then he says that when we do it, and when we do all of this, his peace will be with us. So when this world right now is going crazy and nuts, and everything is so chaotic, he promises that he will give you his peace. He promises that you can be a calming presence in a chaotic environment. Because you know who is in control. You know that he has it. He's got it. He's beyond your understanding anyway. So why not just trust him? So what is the question? So what with all of this? And my answer is today, just do it. Just do it. Just as I had to start opening my mouth and those English words had to slowly flow out of it, we just have to do it. You get only have two, two ways to go in life. You can choose to live your life with him, let go of your control and let him be in control. Or you can choose to be in control of your own life. There's really no other way to choose. It's up to you. It is up to you. So prioritize him. Be in the word. Be sanctified in and through him. Be the best disciple you can be. Be willing to change. Stay humble. Accept yourself. Accept others. Be glued together in community to him. And may the fruits of the spirit just be so evident that people would just look at us and be like, oh man, they are his disciples. What is up with these people? 
This is Jesus. Amen. As I was sitting this week at home, I, and I just prayed, probably the last two weeks I prayed, and the thought that came constantly into my mind is that we need to be with him. We need to be with him. And this is exactly what we want to do right now. We want to celebrate communion together. And we want to be with Christ right now. But as you take your communion, I pray that you really reflect on your life and that you ask, invite Jesus back into your heart. Commit it over to him again. Ask him to sanctify you again. Praise him that the cross even made it possible for us to do it. I want to read what Jesus, when Jesus had the Last Supper with the people, with his disciples. It says in Matthew 26, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus has done it all for us. Without him, we could never be like him. So praise him for what he has done. When you go right now and you collect your communion, there's something a little different today. You will also receive a tiny paper note. And on this paper note, there is a Bible passage. I ask you when you sit down again and you have your communion that you read this Bible verse. And let me actually give you some time here where you can sit in silence with your Father in heaven. And you can meditate on this Bible verse and you can pray. Because this thought in my mind to be with him was so strong that I actually just felt, you know what, let's not just wait till Sunday afternoon. We do it here right now, amen? So we want to create the space for you. If you are not a disciple of Jesus yet, if you've never committed your life to Christ, can I ask you to please come to the front? We would love to pray with you and help you to take this step. If you are a disciple of Jesus, but you listen today and something stirred in your heart and you actually feel like you need to commit again. And you would like some prayer of encouragement to stir you on. Can I invite you to come up out to the front here as well? We would love to pray for you too. Don't let this opportunity just go past. I pray that we will be a church that is authentic, a church that can see that we are all differently shaped, a church where we know that we may not always agree with one another, but that we are all fearfully and wonderfully created in his image. And that Jesus knew what he was doing when he called us to be his disciples. It doesn't, doesn't, it's not a surprise to him. But that he would be the clue that constantly sticks us and holds us together. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, I just thank you, Lord, that you are the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Jesus, I thank you that you have done it all. You have done it all, Lord. And now you left to your Father and you are next to him. And you are asking us to be your presence in this world, Lord, that the cross and what you have done on this cross may not be forgotten. 
but that the people in this world would know of this moment of Calvary and what has happened. And that they would understand and know really in their hearts and live out, be able to live out the power of the cross here on earth, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that every person that listens to this message now, that you would change their hearts to become more like you, Christ. I pray an openness in their hearts and in their spirits to hand things over to you and to commit again to be a disciple for your kingdom because this is all what life is about. Jesus, I pray that you fill our hearts with your joy as we do this. You promise to give us your joy in the midst of all of it, Lord. And in times when it seems quite hard, that this joy and that your peace would just carry us all the way through it, Lord. But I pray that the world would see when they look at us, that there's something different about us and that is you in us, Lord. So Lord, we ask you, please use us, use us for your kingdom, Jesus. And I pray now that as people, as we all now are sharing communion together in unity in you, Jesus, that you would bless us as a church, that you would glue us together in you, Lord, and that you would speak to us as we have a few moments of silence with you, Lord. In your precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.